Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Green. As we follow the contemporary art world, one thing that we haven't discussed on the podcast in the past, but I'm sure we've all witnessed it on numerous occasions, is artist collaborations with fashion brands. It feels like every week there's a new collaboration announced, and overall, just the fashion and art world has become much more intertwined now than perhaps ever before. So we wanted to have someone on the podcast to help us understand what exactly is going on in this space and why. So in this week's episode, we're joined by Natasha Deegan, Chair of Art Market Studies at FIT, the Fashion Institute of Technology. And Natasha is also the author of the brand new book, Merchants of Style, Art and Fashion After Warhol. The book examines the convergence of art and fashion, and more specifically, the way that the fashion industry and the art world have become inextricably linked. It's available for sale now on Amazon. So we hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks so much for listening. Natasha, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So I think a great way to start is to tell us a little bit more about your new book, Merchants of Style, Art and Fashion After Warhol, and really what prompted you to want to explore this topic in detail? Yeah, so you gave a great uh, intro to the book, which is really about the relationship between art and fashion and more specifically the art world and the fashion industry. So looking at you know all of the points of intersection between these two fields and sort of asking why we're seeing this, um, we, we're seeing uh, more and more kind of uh, collaboration, partnership, cross-pollination between the two. Um, and being, uh, as you mentioned, I'm the chair of the Art Market Studies master's program at FIT, which means that my background is on the art side. I have a background in art history and specifically the history of the art market. Um, but I do teach at FIT, which is the Fashion and Institute of Technology. So in that context, I've become, you know, more and more cognizant of all of the ways that um, art and fashion are partnering and collaborating at the moment. Um, and I just started to observe the number of exhibitions, the number of fashion exhibitions at art museums or artist brand collaborations, which have just become so ubiquitous. Or um, the fact that, you know, luxury conglomerates have launched their own art museums or, uh, you know, everything from, and the book touches on all of these points, everything from, you know, the major auction houses being owned by, um, you know, the the sort of founders of some of these luxury groups and auction houses now, like Sotheby's, for instance, um, dividing into two divisions right where it's one is fine art and the other is luxury art and objects so luxury and fashion have become um more and more sort of a part of the art world even though these two fields historically have often um set themselves apart and and particularly art i think has um traditionally uh been reluctant to seen to be seen as engaging with fashion or other commercial fields so that was kind of the impetus for the book to um, question why this is happening, to sort of describe this phenomenon, but also to address what the ramifications might be for both fields. Um, and 
even though there's been a lot of press coverage of some of these artist brand collaborations or the Met Gala or fashion exhibitions and art museums, I think uh, I, I felt that there hadn't really been um, an in-depth take on why this is and what this all means. So that's what I was trying to do with the book. And so it feels like we're seeing contemporary artists all the time now embracing the fashion industry in one way or another. But what is the history of artists embracing the fashion industry? Is this something historically that artists have done? And how much have we seen that change recently? Yeah, there's a long history um, of the exchange between art and fashion. And the subtitle of the book is Art and Fashion After Warhol. So I am looking more at the contemporary moment. Warhol dies in 1987. And I kind of use that as a starting point for the meat of the book, which sort of traces this um you know, the, this convergence uh, in the decades that followed. But uh, we can go back all the way to the late 19th or early 20th century. And in the introduction to the book, I, I kind of go through the, this chronology and talk about some of these partnerships between fashion designers and artists. So, you know, in the early days of the 20th century, you have someone like Paul Poiret, uh, a very important and influential designer uh, historically, who was uh, really eager to align himself with avant-garde art and enlisted artists like Raoul Dufay to design textile patterns for him and even had artists design his business stationery. Um, you know, you can follow, you could go a bit forward in time and, and look at the Surrealists, designers like Elsa Schiaparelli, who collaborated with Salvador Dali and created, you know, the famous lobster dress or tear dress um with Dolly so was working very directly with artists who were in her social milieu she was very much a part of this kind of artistic scene in Paris uh you could you know fast forward a little bit more and and look at someone like Yves Saint Laurent who made collections that were based on artworks including uh Madrian paintings or pop art so, you know, for a very long time, our uh, fashion designers have looked to art for inspiration. I think, uh, you know, art for the most part was sort of reluctant to be seen as um, partnering with fashion. And I think we really start to see that change with Warhol and with the emergence of pop art. And that's why Warhol is such an important figure in the book and a kind of recurring presence, even though a lot of the book takes place and, and looks at the period after his death. Um, it was really, I think, pop art and Warhol that gave the art world license to uh, collaborate with fashion, to align with fashion, to be connected in the mass media with uh, the kind of glamour and celebrity of fashion. Um, so, you know, that that is uh, a long history that really you can trace back to a much earlier period. But I think it's really in recent decades that we've seen this partnership become way more ubiquitous. And, you know, all these points of intersection just become more and more numerous. And, and so, you know, going back to the early 20th century, the fashion industry was very small. It was very elite. It was for a very small number of people. Today, you know, you have these big luxury brands, these huge multinational conglomerates in some cases. And when they partner with an artist, the effects and the influence are just, you know, so much more profound. Um, so even though this has a long history, I think we've seen things really radically change in recent years. And so as I mentioned, artist collaborations seem to be happening left and right. 
What are some of the most common types of collaborations with fashion brands that we're witnessing? And why do you think this is something that it seems a lot of artists are eager to do, where in the past, perhaps it was something they shied away from? Well, I totally agree that these artist brand collaborations have become completely ubiquitous. And in writing the book, that was a little bit of a challenge because it just seemed like every week you would hear of some new partnership that was being announced or get a press release or see an article. So um, that's something that I think has been really noteworthy, that this is something that artists, you know, far from being reluctant to do, or maybe in some cases very eager to collaborate with brands. Uh, and I think there's a number of reasons for that. I mean, one is visibility, um, visibility within the art world and way beyond. So, you know, when Jeff Koons collaborated with Louis Vuitton, he was very open that really the impetus for that from his perspective was to reach a mass audience and to, you know, be able to um, put his art out in the world in maybe a slightly unconventional form, but get just a huge audience way beyond what any major exhibition or, you know, any major auction sale could possibly garner. So, um, you know, I think visibility has been a huge part of it, but also it's an alternative source of revenue for a lot of artists. And one thing that interests me is that, you know, these collaborations do take a lot of different forms. So to answer your question, you know, I think that in the book I talk about what I see is three different types of collaborations. Um, now, you know, when you get the press release, it just says artist brand collaboration, but I think they really do take very different forms. Um, on the one hand, you have the kind of what I call the curated collaboration. So if you think of like Uniqlo debuting a line of t-shirts with images of uh, Warhol paintings or Basquiat paintings or Keith Haring, uh, those are, um, you know, garments that are created that are emblazoned or printed with images of artworks, but without a lot of input from the artist. And of course, in the, the example I just mentioned, those artists have all died, so they're not going to provide much creative input. But um, there's a lot of other examples, too. Uh, Uniqlo being maybe a more mass market brand, but you can think of like Raph Simmons did a line in collaboration with the Robert Maplethorpe Foundation. And, and that was obviously a more kind of high-end luxury um, partnership uh, that, you know, also uh, was working with an artist's estate. Um, so that would be an example where a fashion designer or company is are taking images of artworks and using them as a motif on clothing. But really the artist is not involved. It's more of a licensing arrangement. Um, then you have the commission style collaboration. And, and I think um, like the Louis Vuitton collaborations are a good example of that, where the artist is certainly involved, but maybe even taking some direction from the brand. So Murakami, Takashi Murakami has talked about his involvement with Marc Jacobs, who at the time was the head of Louis Vuitton, when that uh, really influential line of handbags was released that Murakami did with Louis Vuitton that kind of, you know, kicked off this wave of collaborations. And, and he talks about how, you know, he got contacted by Mark Jacobs. Mark Jacobs gave him feedback and direction and said, oh, I like this color. I don't like that color. I like this figure. I don't like this figure. So it was almost like Murakami was, um, you know, engaging in like a Renaissance style commission with a patron who is sort of directing uh, his work um, 
and kind of giving him feedback and nudging him in a certain direction that was maybe in line with Mark Jacobs' vision for the brand. So that's an example with a living artist and an artist who's intimately involved in a sense, but where the brand is taking priority. And then the final kind of collaboration that I've observed is what um, in the book I call the A to Z collaboration. And, and it, I take that phrase from Raf Simmons, who used the term A to Z collaboration to, des to describe his partnership with the artist Sterling Ruby. And, um, you know, that I think is pretty unusual uh, in terms of, I think what makes this collaboration A to Z is that both artist and designer are kind of presented as equals. They have equal um, ownership and authorship over the resulting collection. And so, you know, when uh, Raph Simmons and Sterling Ruby collaborated on a kind of jointly authored line of clothing, um, their names appear on the label and get equal billing. So that's pretty unusual. Usually, you know, when we think of a lot of these high profile artist brand collaborations, the artist's work is an important part of the marketing. It's an important part of the product, but it's not that the, the, the artist necessarily gets the same sort of level of authorship. The brand remains you know, the label remains that of the brand. Um, but in this case, Raph Simmons and Sterling Ruby, you know, both of the names uh, are on the label and the artist and the designer really see themselves as co-collaborators, as complete equals in the, um, you know, in this creative endeavor. So that, that might be a third model, but maybe the most unusual in some ways. And so looking at things from the luxury brand's perspective, why do you think they are so eager to align themselves with contemporary art and artists, whether they're initiating collaborations or in extreme cases, even launching their own art museums, which we've seen in a few places in Europe? Definitely. So, you know, this is something that we've been seeing more and more of uh, luxury brands really aligning themselves and, and really trying to establish many, many links with the art world. So, you know, we have, um, like you said, like Fondation Louis Vuitton or, you know, the Prada Foundation in Milan, major museums hosting major exhibitions, um, but funded and initiated by luxury brands. You have artist brand collaborations. You have even Louis Vuitton, um, the owner of LVMH, Bernard Arnault, uh, calling Louis Vuitton a, a cultural brand and really trying to position the the brand not as as you know extending far beyond fashion or garments and uh or accessories but transcending that and and i think his vision for the company is that it has a place in culture that exists way beyond just handbags and clothing um and sunglasses and perfume but that um you know, has a kind of cultural place and is an agent in culture. And I think that's a real departure too. Um, on one hand, maybe there's nothing new about this, right? So one reason why fashion designers throughout history from the very early days of the fashion industry as we know it, um, have wanted to align themselves with art is because art is in some sense, the ultimate luxury good. It's rare, it's exclusive, it's expensive, it has all the right associations from a luxury standpoint. Artworks tend to be unique, they tend to be one-offs, they are, um, you know, 
um, high-minded and exclusive and elite, all of these things are exactly the way that luxury um, goods companies and fashion companies want to be perceived. But I think in recent years, something interesting has happened, which is, um, you know, luxury, as expensive as their products may be, um, have become these multinational, uh, enormous businesses. Um, and, you know, and with that, they have branches in more and more cities, their products are more and more available, they're producing more and more. So, in some ways, their their claim to rarity and exclusivity has been compromised by the the sort of business imperative to create more and more goods and extend their brand in that way. So, how do they, you know, retain the image of exclusivity and rarity despite the fact that their products are becoming more and more common? Aligning themselves with art, and so I think art has become. Uh, a big kind of strategic priority in some sense for these companies, because this is a way that they maintain the air of exclusivity, uh, even though the brands are becoming more and more recognizable and available. So, um, you know, that's, I think, part of the reason why Louis Vuitton, for instance, is calling itself a cultural brand, why they not only are you know, um, behind a, a major art museum in Paris, but um, we just saw recently uh, they they launched an ad campaign where uh, the actress Lea Sedou was um, posing with handbags at the Fondation Louis Vuitton with Joan Mitchell paintings in the background. And then uh, jo the Joan Mitchell uh, Foundation issued a cease and desist letter because they never gave permission for the artworks to be used in this ad campaign. Um, and yet, you know, why does Louis Vuitton want to feature these paintings in their ad campaign? Why would they, um, you know, even photograph this uh, campaign in the museum when they never received the permission of the foundation? And I think it is this kind of eagerness to align with art and to, you know, present the brand as a kind of an extension of a cultured, a cultured art-inflected um, lifestyle that, you know, combines art, high fashion, design, kind of glamour, elegance, chicness, all of these things get kind of wrapped up with each other. And so I think it's somewhat surprising, but museums have actually played a really big role here. You have the Met Gala, which takes place in early May. Why has this event become such a boon to both the fashion industry and the Met? And then, of course, we're seeing art museums more and more interested in organizing fashion exhibitions. Well, fashion exhibitions have become the most popular exhibitions in many major museums' histories. So the Met, for instance, you know, they uh, back in the 60s hosted an exhibition of the Mona Lisa. In the 70s, they had like the blockbuster King Tut show. And yet today, their most popular exhibition of all time is a fashion show. Um, so, you know, I think that's a huge part of it is that there's, um, you know, just a, a huge amount of demand and interest in these types of exhibitions. They uh, get uh, an enormous amount of media attention. Um, and the Met Gala is, I think, part of that trend, but also kind of exists even on a different plane entirely. The Met Gala, um, you know, certainly attracts a lot of attention to their fashion exhibitions. Like you mentioned, the, the next Met Gala will take place on May, May 1st. 
and will coincide with the opening of a big retrospective of uh, Karl Lagerfeld's design. So that's sure to be another blockbuster. Um, but, you know, beyond bringing people into the museum and into the exhibition, um, for the Met, I mean, it's just uh, hugely beneficial. So first of all, they it's a, it's a fundraising event. Um, last year's Met Gala, raised over $17 million. And that that contrasts to the like $2 million that's raised by their normal gala. So, you know, substantially more money for the museum. Um, and also, I, I saw um, one study that said that, you know, a couple of years ago, the Met Gala actually attracted more media impact value than the Super Bowl which means that you know if you try and quantify the value of all the media mentions all of the celebrity gossip and red carpet coverage that actually the met is getting more media attention from the Get met gala than you know even the super bowl can generate which just shows how huge this event has become um in culture and way beyond the art press or even the fashion press but you're talking like you know, every mainstream media outlet is going to have some coverage on this event. So, uh, you know, I think that's uh, certainly benefiting the museum. But then on the fashion side, too, uh, you know, the the I think it was Andre Leontali who said that the Met Gala was the quote unquote Super Bowl of fashion. So it's it's the perfect showcase. Every designer wants to be there in attendance with a you know, celebrity plus one wearing their designs that those fashions will be, um, you know, photographed and circulated, you know, widely. And um, I think it was the CEO of Louis Vuitton who called the Met Gala the pinnacle of our business. So it's not just the red carpet coverage, but it's also, you know, the association with the museum. So it's kind of like the best of all possible worlds. It's the the kind of glitz and glamour of celebrity culture, but the kind of high mindedness, the rarification of um, of the art world and of, um, you know, a major museum like the Met. And another interesting component of this is architecture. Many luxury brands flagship locations are designed by architects who actually made their name in the art world. Why do you think this is the case? And what does it say about the way that art and fashion are sold? Yeah, uh, this is something I talk about in the book a lot too. Uh, the the fact that not just all these other points of intersection and convergence, but that I think art galleries and luxury flagships in many ways are starting to look more and more alike. And part of that is that they actually have the same architects. So, uh, you know, you can think of Herzog de Moron, you know, designing uh, Tate Modern and then getting hired by Prada to do their Tokyo epicenter or Rem Koolhaas uh, making his name, designing museums and then getting employed by Prada to do their New York epicenter or, um, you know, and, and this goes back to even earlier periods, uh, you know, architects like Richard Gluckman, who made his name with uh, Dia and Dia Chelsea, um, then designing um you know, the galleries are, are kind of converting industrial spaces in Chelsea into galleries for Larry Gagosian and Mary Boone and Paula Cooper, and then designing the Helmut Lang flagship in Soho. So there, there's been this kind of, um, you know, this kind of interchange for a long time, this exchange between, um, you know, the, the actual physical spaces where art and fashion 
are being displayed and, and even sold. Um, but I think there's a few interesting things about this. I mean, one is that the aesthetic of the kind of white cube aesthetic of the art gallery, um, especially, you know, as we look at the, you know, if we look back to like the 90s became the kind of go-to aesthetic for luxury stores as well. The idea that you walk into a luxury store and, uh, you know, you just see like the one t-shirt on a hanger isolated in this very spare kind of minimalist space, uh, you know, kind of evoking the the sensation and the feeling of, of being in an art gallery. And uh, I think that was something that for a time the fashion world was capitalizing on, was trying to kind of create the sense uh, that, you know, the goods were precious and expensive. And, and part of the way they did that was by taking strategies from the art world. But I think now, too, what, what's so interesting is that, you know, we've seen if you go to Chelsea in New York, for instance, you'll see many of the big mega galleries. They are uh, not just uh, retail spaces, but they have all these experiential amenities from bars and coffee shops and bookstores and uh, event spaces. And we've seen luxury flagships move in the same direction too. So you go to a major uh, you know, luxury store and you might find an art gallery or even a museum in the store or a coffee uh, shop or a chocolatier or a restaurant. Like these kinds of experiential offerings are becoming much more common in both the art and the fashion worlds. And I think part of that is both art and fashion um, companies, whether that be a big luxury brand or a mega gallery, are really positioning themselves as cultural brands that, uh, you know, are trying to ex extend their brand visibility Um way beyond just their clientele. So, you know, uh, if you if you're David Zwerner and you're going to be opening a Kusama show as they are next month in May, you know, you are you're anticipating that the viewership for that show is going to be far, far, far beyond just the small number of people who might buy one of those Kusama works. Um, and you're actually trying to court the public. And part of the reason why you're doing that is because you now exist as a brand. You're not just appealing to a tiny group of ultra wealthy people. You're you're appealing to everyone on social media who can spread word about the exhibition, who could uh, spread word about Kusama's work, who could enhance the visibility of the gallery, of the artist, of the body of work. So I think both luxury brands and um, you know art businesses are seeing a lot of value in that, in, in appealing to the public directly and doing that through the spaces that they operate, whether that be, like I said, a, a gallery space that you know now may include a whole host of amenities and become a kind of destination for people that have uh, an interest in art, but are not probably very unlikely to ever buy from David Zwerner or Hauser and Wirth or Gagosian. Um, and that's a very different orientation than I think existed in the past. Natasha, thanks so much again for coming onto the podcast and providing your really interesting perspective on everything that's happening between the art world and the fashion world. There's a lot going on there, and we'll be sure to keep following along. And if our listeners haven't already, they should definitely go on Amazon and purchase your new book, Merchants of Style, Art and Fashion After Warhol. Natasha, thanks so much again. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.